0: This is Peter.
1: And this is Tom.
0: And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast.
1: Hey guys, how's everyone doing?
0: Yay! <laughs> All right, so today we're going to talk about... Oh, wait, this is your job. That's my job. I'm supposed that's to say That's your job. You always say it. I feel like I'm already messing up. Well, right, you me you. usually set me up for my it. You usually set me up for it. My bad. I totally didn't set you up for it. All right, go ahead. This is all you, though. This is Tom Esresco right here. Go ahead.
1: Go. So today we're going to be looking at an event that's often known that a lot of historians look at, and they call it a precursor to the United States Civil War, and it's probably a, a very one-sided military conflict, very controversial, like the Mexican-American War we're going to take a in-depth look at today.
0: Yes. Not to be confused with the Spanish-American War, which oftentimes is confused, uh, specifically by my students, whenever I... It's kind of like interchangeable for them. Whenever I speak about the Spanish-American War, they think I'm talking about the Mexican-American War and vice versa. Well, that
1: shouldn't happen. If you had a better teacher, that wouldn't be a problem. I, you know
0: what? I concur. I really Sorry. do think maybe I need to change
1: my profession here. Yeah, maybe, I,
0: I... <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's talk about the Mexican-American War. So the Mexican-American War takes place in 1846, um, and it lasts technically until 1848. However, the real fighting more or less is over way before the two-year mark. That's when
1: the treaty is signed, yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, the real fighting really takes place over months. And in those few months, the United States, I hate to say, but I guess more or less, takes over the nation of Mexico.
1: Pretty much. Um, like It was basically, it was the first armed US conflict that was mostly fought in foreign soil here, um, North America, right? And it pitted a politically divided and um, military unpre- militarily unprepared Mexico. Mexico was not ready for this no. against the Polk administration, which was expansionist minded at the time and just wanted this land. He, they wanted all this land. He, we'll get into it in more details, right? But he basically campaigned on saying, I'm going to expand, whether yep. peacefully or if I have to, we'll go to war, but I'm going to expand. And Mexico kind of knew this was coming. We captured a, the capital. And they, they really have, once you capture the capital, that's pretty much it.
0: The premise here is, and as you kind of mentioned it before, this really is a precursor, or almost like the first chapter of every book about American Civil War. Although it takes place twenty years before American Civil War, so many people that become essential yeah. figures. It's
1: right? a who's who. In, it's a it's a who's who yeah. of the Civil War of American politics, right, and stuff like that going forward. This is I like I used to teach almost as like the um, the prequels to like the civil yeah. war if, if the civil war is oh, star wars come on why would you have if, to go with the prequels if, if the civil war is is the is star wars like this is the prequels this is the phantom menace and attack of the clones and all the other stuff leading up to it
0: you just made this podcast uncool before we really started tom it's 3 minutes in and you just made it uncool well the prequels are not that, that
1: if you look if you watch the uh if you if you watch what the last jedi the prequels don't seem too bad anymore
0: but we're not going we're not going
1: to get into that we're not going that's uh, that's another that that's another podcast
0: that's another podcast boom let's get let's get into this Basically speaking, I think to really start uh, the, you know, the Mexican-American War and start discussing it, I think we need to start with an ideology, and then we need to kind of start with another war, an event that kind of leads itself into the Mexican-American War. And then afterwards, we're going to discuss the war itself. But then really the, the main reason why this war is even taught, I think, in American history classes is it's the effects of this war and what that means for the future of our nation. So the ideology I speak of is um, – probably, you've probably heard of this before – Uh, Manifest Destiny. And the idea of Manifest Destiny was actually coined, 1845, uh, by a magazine editor named John Lewis O'Sullivan, and he declared that it was our nation's Manifest Destiny to overspread the continent that was given to us by God. Manifest in this terminology uh, means obvious, and destiny is the thing that we're meant to do. So this is the obvious thing we're meant to do we are placed on this continent and because of our sheer greatness um, the united states has a mission to expand this greatness to those people that do not possess it in other words move west and we're talking about subjugating native americans but also in our way is mexico uh, which just recently uh, gained independence from spain but also there's the oregon um, country which at the time oregon which was much larger than just the state of oregon we have today was jointly kind of not owned, but I guess claimed by the United States, Britain, and then Russia. Did you hear that? Like
1: Basically, the idea of manifest destiny, Just us go back to for a second, right? Like what you were saying yeah. is that all that stuff was there, right? Other people were, had this land. They were living that land, but none of them could do it or deserved it as much as the Americans did. Yes. That's, that's basically what it is. Like They had it, okay, but you're not using it right, and we need it, and we should have it because God, it's our destiny, right? God wants us to have it.
0: A lot of Americans started moving west, and the Louisiana Purchase, which today would be like the central United States, was very much unfertile land. It was dry, it was deserts. So a lot of Americans started to bypass the central United States, which really was the westernmost border of the country. And they started actually venturing into lands that did not belong to us. And that's where you get into a lot of these Santa Fe trails. You get into the Oregon trails. You get a lot of these explorers that are just looking for better land. And they're crossing into lands, a lot of them to California, um, that don't belong to us. They technically belong to Mexico.
1: Remember, this was frontier times. This was – it's not like there was like signs and stuff like that or roads. So they're just going to this land and their are settlers going into it and they just say, okay, I'm going to settle here. I'm going to build my homestead, right? I'm going to farm this land. And there really wasn't anyone to say you can't because it's just land.
0: Yeah, there was so a squatter. Yeah,
1: so until others started to come over, until things really started heating up, these people are just living there. And then years go by, a lot of these cases before someone realizes, no, you should, This you're actually in a part of a different country right now. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's crazy, it's just, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. For the most part, the belief was that the land a lot of these people settled in, um, specifically Texas, a lot of them settled in Texas and, and some made it all the way to California. But those Western lands were predominantly occupied by Native Americans. You have the Apaches, Comanches, right? And the Native American groups that are in these areas are kind of warlike tribes. Spain, which technically owned that land before Mexico got its independence from Spain. Spain allowed this to happen because the way they viewed it is that if Americans move to these areas, they would create this natural buffer zone between these war tribes and Mexico, you know, mainland Mexico. So -hmm. they kind of let this happen because they're like, you know what, if Americans get there uh, and they're not getting there within the numbers that are scary at this point yet to Mexico or Spain, um, at least the Native Americans will attack them first. So it's like a natural buffer zone. But then Mexico gains its independence. The most northern portions of its empire, when you're looking at Texas, you're looking at uh, New Mexico, current day Arizona, but specifically also California, they're not necessarily occupied by Mexicans. Um, They say that by 1820, for example, California only had about 3,000 Hispanic people living in all of California. I mean, think of the size of California, 3,000, that's nothing. And the reason for that is because no one ventured that high up um, from mainland Mexico because of the fear of these Native Americans.
1: So some of the, of the, the things going on in Texas this time is basically the settlers are going in there. They want these land rights. Over time, just to speed things up, more and more of these Texans come in and they say, you know what, we should have more rights. We should have more power. We should basically break away from Mexico. Yeah, and these Texans and, are Americans. We should. We they're should Americans. Yeah, yeah, they're Americans. They're, they're coming in, and they're they're basically. And this is what, like you were saying before, Pete. They were saying, all right. Let them let the Americans come in. Let them settle in. But as the numbers grew, they started basically outnumbering the Mexicans out in this area. Yep. American settlers in Texas. They have a convention right in 1832, and mm-hmm. they ma- they asked Mexico to reopen Texas to American immigrants because it was um basically Abandoned. banned before that. Yeah. And this was the idea This was to uh, decrease the tax on imports and stuff like that. Yep. And it was um, – they say no. They have they held another convention in 1833. That was much more aggressive. And Texas was part of the Mexican state at this point, right? So the convention yep. members asked Mexico to separate Texas from the other Mexican states and create a new state, a state of Texas, but still in Mexico. And they wrote up a new constitution and sent um, Steve Austin, right, not Stone Cold Steve Austin, but Steve Austin, Mm -hmm. to Mexico City to negotiate with the Mexican government, and those negotiations basically fail. And Austin writes a letter suggesting that um, Texas should organize its own state government, and then Steve Austin basically persuaded the president at the time, which is um, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, right, Santa Ana, Mm -hmm. considered himself the Napoleon of the West, we'll get to him a little bit, Um, to agree to lift the immigration ban, and a lot of other demands too, and he did this because he knew that if he didn't, Texas was going to, it was basically going to start a war. What I used to teach it as is almost as Texas wants to break up with Mexico, right? Yep. There, it was a long relationship. It's not working out anymore. It's time to walk away.
0: You know, the Mexican government, after they won their independence from Spain, as you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast today, they were in a really terrible state. I mean, there was political upheaval in Mexico City. They were completely bankrupt from fighting the war of independence against Spain. Um, They were completely disorganized. Their their army was in shambles. Mexico was in no position whatsoever to not... We're not even talking about fighting war against the United States. We're talking about just fighting war against some ex-Americans that moved to Texas. Like, you know yeah, I mean? They exactly.
1: were, like, no position. Santa, Anna, Santa Anna destroys the Mexican Constitution declares himself dictator.
0: Yep. Complete so that's he does.
1: Yeah, it, It's just political um, turmoil basically. Like, yeah, absolutely. Austin actually gets arrested, thrown in jail for treason. He gets out in 35, 1835, and that's when he really starts to urge um, Texans to organize an army you see they said we're going to be fighting a war with um, with mexico soon yep
0: yeah. and they do on march 2nd 1836 texas declares its independence from mexico and really shortly thereafter you have texas drafting a new constitution and which basically kind of borrows from the u.s constitution but what's interesting is it's specifically as it's almost word for word for the u.s constitution the initial yeah. one but it's almost it almost specifically protects slavery which was, that was like a the big, big
1: that, that, that's a big
0: difference Huge difference, and that's also why Texans, these ex-Americans that moved to these Mexican, this Mexican area of Texas, they were under the impression that the United States was going to support them right away. But th- what really halted the United States Congress in their tracks was this provision in this new Texas Constitution that said that slavery will be protected. And a lot of people are like, "That's like a hot potato. We don't want to touch that." So here is Texas essentially fighting their own, you know, war for independence against a really weakened barely independent new country of mexico and that in itself becomes a war and i think that's a podcast in itself but this is where you have your infamous the alamo um sam houston takes command ultimately sam houston defeats antonio lopez santana
1: well, basically and... they, they capture santana right At yes the, um... and they force him they, they force I, him um... they, they basically put a bayonet to his head he said tries to dress up actually as like a normal soldier after they get uh, captured and, like, sneak away. And that part is true, but they, they recognize him. Actually, his own troops turn him in. They're like, that's not a troop. That's Santana. They like, kind of spare their own yeah. lives. Because they don't like him either, right? Yeah. No, a lot of the Mexican troops, they're not crazy about Santana. And they capture and They basically want to kill him right there. But Sam Houston stops him, stops the other um, the soldiers, and says, no, no, we're going to talk independence, and you're going to sign this. And so he, he, they get they, – they basically are – he's forced to sign that treaty, which later on Mexico does not um, honor. That's going to yeah, cause they don't some because issues. they said it was signed under duress. Yes, and um, and Santana's is no longer in power at that point either. Yep.
0: He does return to power eventually. We'll
1: get to that. Yeah, because he makes a yep. deal with Polk.
0: <laughs> it's like yep. one of
1: those – like yeah, exactly. Santana was a crafty – he was a crafty guy. Like He he <laughs> wanted power and he was going to find a way to get power no matter what he had to do. That's crazy.
0: So what we have here now is Texas finally gets a piece of paper signed that they are independent. At that moment, Texas become a lone star nation. They're not a state. They're, it's, they're their own nation but they know they're not going to survive this because back in Mexico City Mexico's like yeah no you're not a nation and Mexico is kind of as a, as a government is trying to organize some form of a you know a military um action to get Texas back which is why it becomes very important for same Houston to get Texas annexed to the United, the States. United States I mean yeah. Right away, they're starting a petition like, all right, please, US, go ahead. That's something
1: that ain't really angered Mexico, too. But you see, again, when I, it's how I used to talk about this, it's almost like the breakup, right? So Texas says, listen, I need some time for myself, right? I got to be independent. I got to be by myself. So, all right, they break away, they become their own country. And within a couple of days, really, they're asking, they're asking the United States to take them over, right? To be annexed by the United States. So, no matter if you put like the people thing, right? They break your girlfriend, boyfriend breaks up with you. And then a few days later, they go and they're they're dating your neighbor, who you you don't get along with to begin with, okay? Yeah, not cool. So Mexico's going to be upset about this right off the bat, uh, along with the fact that they don't think that they even should be independent. Oh,
0: as far as Mexico's concerned, Texas is still still part of of Mexico. So
1: who are are they now to say, hey, the United States, us, bring us in. But there's a lot of Normally, the, the, the Congress would say, "Yeah, we'll bring a new territory, Mex- uh, Texas." Is and very like, especially, we're talking a huge size, Texas—a huge size. Know? But they're against it. A lot of northern states are against it because of the issue of slavery, yeah. and they do not want Texas to be coming into the Union as a slave state. Remember, this is the 1840s now, well, 1830s. And it's just that issue of slavery just keeps on being pushed to the back burner, pushed to the back burner. And we know what's going to happen. But this is a really good example to see how it's just just putting it's just it's never being totally resolved. It's just slight compromise here, compromise there. And it's it's not a way that's going to resolve anything.
0: We're not necessarily talking about all Northerners saying slavery is wrong. You shouldn't. No, that had nothing to do with it. We're talking about political power in Congress. That's really what we're talking about. There was a certain balance or rather balance that's kind of slipping right now. In the United States Congress, where in the House of Representatives, number of electors that you have from each state is determined based on population. Slave states, for the most part, slave states, specifically Southern, old Southern states, were not that populated. Um, and they weren't populated because the people lived on vast plantations. And therefore, they would really have hardly any members in the House of Representatives responsible for making American laws. Therefore, initially in 1700s, they passed the three-fifths compromise, which would count slaves as three-fifths of a person, but only when it came to counting um, number of representatives. And that's really the only reason that why the South had any decent number in the House representatives to make laws. Now, when it comes to states, up to this point, the United States really tried to keep a balance where there was the equal amount of states that were pro-slavery and equal amount of slaves that were anti-slavery. Because from each state, you had two senators in the Senate. So as long as the balance was kept, then it really didn't matter if there was no balance in the House of Representatives because at least the South and the North were equal in the Senate. Now, if you bring in an extra state, that means you're bringing in two new senators that would be pro-slavery, which would upset the balance in the Senate. Therefore, if a law came up About expanding slavery or that was more pro-slavery that potentially might have hurt um, tariffs that would benefit northern manufacturers, you know, as opposed to, you know, really hurting southern planters, laws that would benefit the south might potentially pass. And therefore, you don't want to have an additional state that's a slave state. It would upset that balance. So these guys are basically no one touches this. They're like, yeah, we're we're like we're not touching this.
1: Yeah, they just um, knew, like you said, it was just going to cause more problems than really what it was going to be worth. That that's how a lot of people saw it. That there's no way we can just bring another state in, especially a state again the size of Texas. That's gonna it's gonna offset everything. So in
0: 1844, President um, Tyler brings the matter before the Senate. Uh, he proposes the bill to annex it. And then what he kind of blunders there, they say, because in this bill before the Senate, um, he includes a supporting document that is written by Secretary of State at the time, John C. Calhoun. And John C. Calhoun was like like an uber pro-slavery guy. And in, the, in this letter, he has this huge document. Defense of slavery. When this letter, which was attached to this bill in the Senate to bring in Texas, like out, you know, outraged Northerners. They point to this letter as evidence that this annexation was nothing but like a pro-slavery plot. And essentially, it is defeated, thirty-five to sixteen. The Senate votes against annexation. So yes,
1: they decided it's not. Yeah, again, it's not going to be worth the trouble. They're not for it. They and realize, that brings well, us to yeah, the election of eighteen
0: forty-four, where the kind of things start to change a little bit. First of all, Tyler, by doing this, um, by incorporating this letter from John C. Calhoun, angers so many uh, Whigs that are mostly in the North that he has no chance whatsoever now running for re-election, right? So in 1844, uh, you have a new election coming up and you have a Whig, uh, Senator Henry Clay is running as a Whig and a former um, Democratic president, Martin Van Buren was supposed to run. Um, That was the idea. And both of these guys were being pressed by the newspapers and the media like, all right, what are you going to do about – what are you going to do about Texas? Like, are you going to take Texas in? Are you not going to take Texas in? What's the deal? And none of them were committal. They were like, because eh, eh, eh. again, you don't want to upset your constituents. There's so, one guy that could yeah, care less. Photos. James K. Polk. James K. Polk. He comes out of nowhere. They called the first uh, dark horse candidate ever, right?
1: Yeah, Polk was just basically – he comes out there and he f- I fell out says, listen, you, you – he believes he's a big supporter of Manifest Destiny, right? Mm-hmm. He's a big supporter of expansion at any cost. And he's like, basically, I'm going to do it. So put me in power. He's the one picking a stand, right? He's saying, yep. you want to know how to stand on, on, on what, what we're going to do with Mexico, what we're going to do with Texas? We're going to take Texas. I'm going to make Texas a state. So if you want Texas to be a state, I'm going to be a me. candidate. Yeah, yep. and he does. And, well, he says that and people do because, again – it's the idea that he he plays off of that manifest destiny ideal that a lot of Americans have, that we need to continue to expand, that this is our choice, chosen territory from God. So yeah, this is, that means that, hey, God wants Polk to be president because he's going to continue the expansion, which is what God wants. So Polk wins.
0: Yeah, Polk wins. And in the most basic terms, I mean, it's a supp- it's a basic supply and demand. The more land you have, the cheaper land becomes in the United States. And therefore, the more accessible land becomes in the United States and without land, ultimately, I mean, you know, that's the beauty of this country was specifically at the time is that as opposed to England, where, you know, you're on an island and there's hardly any land here, you can have land and it's easily accessible and it's cheap because of the amount of land that is available to the American people. And in this case, by expanding... We're adding land, therefore cheapening the value of land across all of the United States. So people are like, yeah, let's go for Polk. So Polk gets um, Van Buren basically loses his Democratic nomination altogether. And the Democrats nominate James K. Polk. And as you said, he wins. He ultimately has these promises. Uh, First of all, he's probably one of the most successful presidents in American history when it comes to fulfilling his promises. As he's running, he goes, look, I promise I'm going to annex not only Texas, But I'm also going to finally resolve the Oregon Territory question in the Northwest. So as I mentioned before, Northwest Oregon Territory is kind of claimed by Britain and us and a little bit of Russia, but really it's just us and Britain. He's like, I'm going to resolve that. I'm going to bring Oregon Territory into um, the United States. So now he's talking about potentially doing that, making a balance. He's not just going to bring in Texas. He's already saying, I'm also going to get us Oregon all the way up north. And to make it even better, he goes, I'm also going to do anything and everything in my power to buy California from Mexico. He
1: wants and California.
0: Calif- yeah. yeah, he really wants California. Why does he, he want wants, California?
1: He, well, he's the, all the resource and stuff. But he also he wants to have that. What later becomes what that the song, right? See the shining sea. He wants that east to west coast. He wants it to be that true transcontinental type of country. But he also wants all the valuables that you can be in California.
0: Yep. And I, again if gold hasn't even been discovered. The key here is that we could then trade potentially yeah,
1: two ports. Two, two, had, two exactly. coasts of ports and everything like that. We could
0: now trade with the East. And he wanted it so bad. And we have to like, you know, kind of we mentioned. It's all, it's all monetary.
1: About. Everything comes down to the dollar. Yes. So money. that's where that's where they see. How can we make more money? How can the country become more profitable? Well, having California, having Texas, having Oregon, that's just gonna give us, like you said, more land. It's going to space out the people more, but it's also going to give us more trade opportunities. It's going to give us a chance to just up our capital.
0: Yeah. And he's, you know, he's kind of got a good point here because as I mentioned before, California is not really occupied by Mexicans. Even Texas, it's not occupied by the mainland people of Mexico. The people of Mexico still mostly live in more of the southern area that we know today as Mexico. I think before we get into how the Mexican American War starts, I think let me just get Oregon out of the way. Go right ahead, away. finish up.
1: So, or, finish up Oregon. Yeah, I think I'll we'll
0: do Oregon and then we'll get to that. So, <laughs> the promise for Oregon, right? Paul takes a huge stance in Oregon and he sends representatives to England, basically, um, saying like with this big rallying cry, 54-40 or fight." Like, he, you know, we're, we want Oregon, country, like all of it. Which actually today, in some of the land we wanted encompassed like Canada. But he sends them in. But at the same time, while there is, you know, our ambassadors are in England discussing to really kind of get or buy Oregon, um, at that time we start the war with Mexico, which we're about to tell you guys about. And that kind of takes England uh, back a little bit. They're like, wait a second, hold on. Like, England's dealing with their own problems. This is 1846, they have issues with Ireland. Um, United States is becoming a very much like a, a powerful military nation. They're fighting war with Mexico. So basically England's like, all right fine, they just negotiate with us and they're like, oh, let's do it. And the agreement is uh, between the United States that we and Britain, uh, we receive all of Oregon south of the forty uh, north latitude and west of the Rocky Mountains. Ultimately, the British were guaranteed navigation rights on the Columbia River as an as you know, as a trade-off. So we didn't even,
1: The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent,
2: unbiased, and essential world news daily.
0: Pay them for it. Like, England was kind of like, oh, we got issues ourselves, and these guys are, like, fighting wars now. I find fine. So Polk secures... They weren't going to send troops
1: over for it, yeah. Exactly. It wasn't going to be worth it for them.
0: Yep. And basically, Polk secures Oregon while he's negotiating, not negotiating, he's really tipping our, the scales to war with Mexico.
1: All right, Tom, so how did this war with Mexico start? Well, it starts like kind of what you were saying. Polk wants, he keeps on asking or offering Mexico money. He wants to negotiate a way to buy California and everything else, okay? Yeah, so but Texas, well, we should it.
0: mention, Texas, we do annex Texas right away. Yeah, yeah Taylor puts the paperwork in. So even during Taylor's, when he's leaving the presidency, he puts the paperwork in, says we're annexing Texas. So when Polk becomes president, there's really no choice. Like, Polk's just like, all right, well, Texas in. We're, we're doing this. And as you said, he's trying to send people to Mexico to buy California. And what happened? So
1: he's up to offer them up to $25 million, which is a huge amount, especially back then, um, to buy New Mexico territories that would be New Mexico and California. And the Mexicans refuse. They, they refuse to even consider off like when it's not for sale, right? So yeah. Polk ups the ante, he orders 4,000 troops under General Zachary Taylor to occupy the land between the Nissus River and the Rio Grande. It's a region yeah. Mexico claimed as its own territory. Mexico replies by sending troops to the disputed zone. So now you have two troops, two armies based on each side. And basically on April 25th, 1846, the Mexican cavalry attacked the patrol of Americans. And then Polk would later use this argument that... Um, American blood has I mean, been American, shed, American on, American shed on, foreign, on American soil. and you yeah. may have to go fight, even though later on, a lot of opponents and historians argue that um, Polk basically kind of goaded the Mexicans into starting the fight.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, nevertheless, I mean, right, on, on May 13, 1846, Congress votes to declare war on Mexico by an overwhelming major- uh, majority 40 to 2. Yeah. Yes. So they do agree to go.
0: Yes. Senate votes 42. And this uh, disputed territory is essentially that he sends. Um, Zachary Taylor, to is a part of Texas. He sends troops into Texas, yeah, which yeah, we, yeah. we just annexed. But as far as Mexico is concerned, Texas still belongs to them. So they're like, wait, wait, hold on. Slow down here. So when we send troops to this area, uh, the northern
1: To them, it's an invasion. Why is the exactly. American army coming into our country? Exactly.
0: And to us, we, you know, Polk is saying, no, this is part of America. So it's this disputed area, territory, specifically between these two rivers in Texas. So as you mentioned, Tom, hundred percent, you know, and I think historians don't really dispute that Polk basically instigated this war. They
1: knew what was going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and the war itself became known in the papers, even at the time as Mr. Polk's war, war yep. he sent soldiers to Mexico and, you know, ultimately Mexico, you know, obviously you're, you're putting soldiers near Mexican soldiers. Something's going to, is bound to happen. And that's what happened. And he right away went to Congress, said, you know what? We are on American soil. Mexicans attacked us, boom, war starts.
1: Well, it's basically just take over the land and get to the capital. That, that's yes. basically the, the plan is, is get to the capital. And as this is going on, um, settlers in California, right, led by John C. Fremont, yes. basically have little trouble beating the Mexicans there. And on June 14th, 1846, they declare California independent from Mexico. So Mexico's like, what's going on? Texas state says they're independent. Now California says they're independent, right? California call, calling themselves the bear flag republic. And then, just a few weeks after they do that, the U.S. naval forces come in. They take possession of California for the United States. Now, California is basically under control of United States troops. Yeah. Um, and the Mexicans are fighting the Americans, and they're not doing very well. Um, the Mex- but Mexico is refusing to surrender. So Polk actually replaces Taylor with um, General Wilfield Scott, and we'll talk about this more. But when you're looking at, I never all these understood battles, that though. It basically Taylor wasn't going. Um, Fast said, enough you know for Polk. He was yeah, winning so these battles, that- but he wasn't taking the capital.
0: See, and what I was getting, too, from a lot of sources is that he felt that Taylor was becoming too popular, that all of the newspapers that, up north that, were saying yeah, they, Taylor's, Taylor's the hero. victory after victory after victory after victory. That's and then it
1: too, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and he was like, wait, hold on a second. This is my war. Like, I, I'm getting – I just got to st- California in like two months, right? Uh, my forces under Taylor, granted, are sweeping down south into Mexico, destroying everything in their path." And now Taylor's getting all the credit. So, you know what? Well, Taylor versus- becomes the
1: future president from this. He
0: does, and he actually, he was afraid that Taylor might become the future president. Yes, yeah, so which Tim is what does. I didn't
1: understand because Taylor becomes a president. Pierce, be- Pierce is a commander in this where he becomes a president, right? Winfield Scott
0: is- eventually becomes a major commander yeah, during right? the initial Grant, stages of the Civil Grant, War. Grant
1: is fighting during this. Meade, McClellan, Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Lee. Jackson, George yeah. Pickett—all of these guys are all. This is a who's who of what the Civil War is going to be, and they're all fighting each other. That's how they know each other. They're all from West Point anyway, but they all know each yeah. other. So when the Civil War starts, you know they're like, "Oh, I know, I know his tactics. I know his tactics." Yeah. They, they're just aware of one another um, yeah. be, be, because of that.
0: But this is what I didn't get. So you know, like if you go with that train of thought, of he was afraid that Taylor's becoming too popular, and Taylor's like near the Capitol already when he gets pulled. He basically gets pulled and asked to go back to Washington D.C. to get a desk job, and Taylor's like, "Wait a second! I just literally took over." the he, he
1: doesn't want him to have the glory. But you know what's
0: interesting? Because Polk on the from the very onset, from his very when he was running for president, flat out said he's only gonna run for one term. Like yes, that was the famous it. thing. He that goes, I'm gonna be a one-term thing. president and I'm gonna do everything I promise. Well, I'm gonna you do. Know,
1: people change their mind.
0: I, right, you I know? guess. Because if well, you think it, about it, if know, he's afraid of Taylor running against him, Polk wasn't supposed to run. Also, so, you, also
1: know. you know, once you taste that power and you know, he's being like you said, he was accomplishing everything he was saying. He was basically winning when what everything that he said he was gonna do. Why don't, why don't keep on going, right? If all you're doing is winning, why stop?
0: Yeah. And uh, I mean, Americans are very much pro this war. Initially, when Congress authorizes uh, Polk to call like 50,000 volunteers, the enlistment topples like 73,000, you know, within like the first month. It, it's insane. As you mentioned, Taylor's about to take over the Capitol, but then he is fired and he is replaced by a guy named Winfield Scott. And Winfield Scott, who basically takes over Taylor's army, like battle-hardened army, and I mean, I hate to say he marches into Mexico City, but like he kind of does march into Mexico. I mean, well, all the hard part, work was done.
1: Yeah. Well, there was a lot of other things going on. Like there was actually um, Polk and actually towards the ends of the conclusion of the war right, in 1847, Polk actually sent the uh, State Department clerk, Nicholas T. Trist, right, to the border. They mm-hmm. tried to negotiate a treaty and they did proceed very really slowly at first. And then um, Polk really got frustrated and he ordered Trist to come back and end the talks. But – Trish was like, "No, we're actually making some headway. I don't think I should leave yet." He believed he was on the verge of a breakthrough, so he actually disobeyed um, Polk's orders and stayed in Mexico. Wrote a sixty-five-page letter defending his decision to continue the peace talks. Polk apparently was like seething. He's mad. He's angry. All that stuff. He calls Trish a um, destitute of honor or or principle, right? And he basically orders him to come back. But by the time he comes, he does come back. The Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was basically already struck and. Polk had to accept it. He couldn't just reject this peace treaty. And we'll talk about what this treaty was in a few minutes. Yes. And um, as soon as Triss comes back, he, he, he's fired. He's fired the second he, Polk sees him, says, you're fired. Because you, I, you disobeyed direct order. So again, like, Polk almost, like, wants to keep this, well, Not I don't know, wants to keep, it might not be the right word, but he has some interest in keeping this war going because it's just being so successful.
0: And, I mean, his popularity is,
1: like, through the, through the roof. roof. So why why end it?
0: Yep. And it's going really quick. I mean, months. We t- we took over an entire nation in a mere year at most. And again, this
1: is not saying the Mexican army didn't fight well. We're not dissing Mexico no. here. They just were not organized. They didn't have the type of um, organization of the fight off a country. And actually, um, like we talked about before, um, Santa Ana uses this dysfunction to basically come back to power.
0: Yeah.
1: He, knew, he actually, um, in 18... Um, 46, he convinces, he was in Cuba, and he convinces Polk to, to allow him to bring him back. They so right. actually, he's on a naval warship, all right? He goes through an American blockade, you No, know, they let him through, and then he lands like, all right, the he's, whole idea is he's supposed to take over Mexico and negotiate a, a peace treaty favorable to go, um, favor the United States. And instead, as soon as Santa Ana lands on Mexican soil, he just double crosses the Americans, organizes his troops to fight off the invasion. So he said, yeah, let, let, let me get back. I'll take over the country. No problem. People love me there and we'll become a, uh, you know, I'll make a treaty with you. And instead, he lands there and organizes his troops and says, all right, let's kick out the foreign invaders. You know, the Mexicans are not like him. Don't like him. He's a moral enemy for his actions. Yeah. Uh, what happened at the Alamo in, 18, in
2: 1836.
1: But yeah, he obviously, he still fails. He still loses. But, you know, he, he convinces both to go back. Nuts. Nuts it's a political comeback. back.
0: Uh, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo is also very interesting because, you know, if you guys look at a map of Mexico, I, I want you guys to... It's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. Like, you know... We I had no choice. Like, yeah. Like, look at all of Mexico. Mexico was huge at that time. We're talking all of California. We're talking uh, New Mexico, Arizona. We're talking uh, all Nevada, of Texas. And then Yeah, all of Texas. And then all of today's Mexico. Like, this is... Parts a of Wyoming,
1: matter. Oklahoma, and Kansas are also involved yeah. in this. Yeah. And like, it's, over, it's, over half a, it's over half a million square miles of yep. territory.
0: And we control that for that hot second. We control it. It's in our hands. So often, you know, my students ask the question, why didn't we keep it all? And this is this very same question that was asked in the U.S. Congress. You know, we did not want to be an occupying nation. We did not want to be an occupying force. And the conversations, Frederick Merck is the historian that wrote a book about this um, on Manifest Destiny and about the issue of War of Mexico. He wrote this like 50 years ago. But Merck's, um, I guess, thesis uh, really concentrated on uh, and analyzing these firsthand accounts from the congressional hearings. And what it ultimately came down to is that U.S. Congress, uh, a lot of senators had a big issue that if we were to keep all of Mexico, or at least more than we want, we initially kept areas that actually had Mexicans in it, um, that we would be extending, extending to them. Um, constitutional rights and
1: therefore they're, they become citizens we,
0: exactly we would have to extend constitutional rights to people of color and i quote that's what was said in congress that you know they viewed mexicans as people of color and they're like well if we extend constitutional rights and make people of color in mexico americans then that would lead to an uprising in the u.s proper specifically the south therefore we cannot do that so we decided we only going to keep the northernmost portion of the country due to the fact that the population of hispanic peoples was really really low in that area and ultimately we got our our major prize the prize was always california right and now yeah, we and have and got that yeah exactly and, we,
1: yeah, so, and did we get we get that right um
0: so what's the treaty like what's the deal here we don't want to seem like the bad guys. We don't. We yeah, we don't
1: want to make like a bad guy. So we, like we said before, the United States gets California. Will become California, Utah, Nevada, most of New Mexico and Arizona, parts of Colorado, Wyoming, Mexico, and then um, well, Wyoming, Mexico agrees to the Rio Grande as the southern border between the U.S. Right, which it still is today, and we do agree to pay Mexico fifteen million dollars for all of this. Which is, yeah. a, it's a decent amount of money back then, but it's still. Nowhere near what that land is actually worth. No. And we also agreed to take over um $3.5 million in debt that the Mexican government owed American citizens. So uh, we'll also pay the debt that you owe citizens us. from damages, <laughs> basically us, right? Yeah. And it is a one sided treaty for a one sided war, right? Most of the American soldiers that die in this conflict don't even die. Over 13,000 died. It's actually had a very high. Um, morality rate because 79,000 soldiers took part in a war and 13,000 of them died. So it's a higher morality rate than even World War I and World War II. They'd mostly died from uh, like malaria, dysentery, disease, yep. basically from disease. the invasion, not not from battle. Wait, how many Mexican graphic. soldiers died? They said over 25,000 wow. troop de- uh, soldiers and civilians. You got to understand, this is a, country, this is a battle on their home soil. Yeah. Nuts. We're the invading power.
0: Yeah. So then the issue really kind of – we have we now have half of Mexico. It is now ours. This is why we usually teach it as a precursor to the American Civil War. And we're about to win this war, bill that's proposed in August 8th of 1846 by a Pennsylvania Democrat, uh, Wilmot Proviso, because he comes under as Wilmot Proviso, but a guy's name is David Wilmot. What he does is he proposes to Congress this idea that any land that we do wind up getting from the Mexican-American War – shall be closed to the expansion of slavery. And normally this wouldn't be a big deal. However, it passes in the House of Representatives. Actually, it passes overwhelmingly in the House of Representatives, yeah. which proves to Southern states, like, wait a second, we really don't have a lot of congressional power here. And it is defeated in the Senate, but it it, it kind of raises enough suspicion for a lot of Southern politicians that the Northern politicians are trying to prevent or at least slow down the expansion
1: of slavery. We well, had to certain Polk also didn't think that slavery was going to be an issue because he thought that the climate was too dry in those states, yes. in the new acquired territories. He's like, Oh, why do we need why why they're not gonna want slavery there because it's not gonna what there's yep. no point, you're not you can't have the plantations. That's that was his train of thought anyway.
0: Yep. And Texas, you know, Texas is admitted, and Texas is admitted as a as a slave territory. So we're still seeking um some kind of a balance in in the house of representatives but also more or less really in in the senate and then something interesting happens because california doesn't have a lot of people living there until right um, 1949. yeah 1949 which is why they're the san francisco 49ers um and they have golden helmets um aren't you surprised i know something about sports yeah, i was gonna
1: say i was surprised that you, yeah, you know, made sports, sports reference right. there
0: Look at that. Look at that. Um, so in 1849, gold is discovered in California, and everyone kind of knows that. And it seems like overnight, California becomes one of the most populated areas in all of the United States. Like It's crazy how many people go there seeking gold. And most people don't find gold. They actually find no. their fortunes by the fact that like they brought a cow with them, and you know people want milk. So boom, you're you yeah, know, basically selling cows to it those down. people.
1: Or even, exactly. uh, you know, the je- jeans, right? Jeans become invented yeah, because of course, Levi's jeans. And Levi Strauss creates jeans out of the leftover tent material, right? And that's become yep. – they, they don't fall apart like the other pants. So here we go. Yeah, so he makes and they had money.
0: pockets. That was a big deal. Was yeah, the pockets, fact that they had the, the pockets. The
1: rivets and everything. A lot of restaurants yeah. opened up in that time. Yep. C- catering to the, the miners. So the question
0: becomes now, California becomes, uh, as a territory, is very much anti-slavery. And it is anti-slavery because the belief is that, you know, we're looking for gold here. And people were very upset that if, you know, let's say Joe, nameless Joe, I mean, I guess not nameless, his name is Joe. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so Joe goes into California and he works 12 hour shifts looking for gold and he finds a little tiny nugget. He's super excited. And then let's say Biff comes to California and he brings with him 20 of his slaves. He sets up a beach chair sits down, sips some pina coladas and 20 of his slaves look for gold and they find 20 nuggets of gold. You know, at the end of the day, Biff is wealthier than Joe. And Joe's like, that's not cool. You can't bring slaves here. Like everyone's out for themselves here, which is why California petitions to be added as a free state. Free state. Yep. But it's got such a large population, it further causes a rift. So now in Congress, is the, it's almost like the fear of, of before Texas was admitted is finally realized. It's in like, what do we do with all this land that we got from Mexico? Like, is it going to be free? Is it going to be slave? Congress literally blows up over this. We have, it gets so bad that people literally fighting in Congress, like they had to bring in dogs. They brought dogs and they had them lined up in the front, you know, in the house's floor. Which is crazy in the Senate, even. And anytime any of the senators got out of hand, they would unleash dogs on them. That's how politically That's how divisive got, yeah. North and South got over the discussion what to do with the land from Mexico. Which is, you know, why oftentimes it's viewed as the War of Mexico is what ultimately leads to the issues of
1: what to do. Well, with yeah, the I land. mean, you can trace back. You can trace back the steps. It's it's pretty obvious. They're not. Ish, they're not looking at the actual issue. They're not trying to stop the actual issue of slavery in some way or shape or form. It says what we're going to do with these new states coming in, right? So yeah, you, you have that. You have the idea of popular sovereignty, right? That, that's coming. Yeah. So in what's there,
0: popular sovereignty? Well,
1: that's basically the idea, and it was um, Senator Lewis Cass of Michigan that proposed it. Is that let the citizens of that newly dis- or newly created territory will decide whether or not slavery was permitted or not? And it was really popular. And it appealed to many members of Congress, like, all right, one, it removed the issue of slavery from national politics, right? We don't have to deal with it now. Oh, the people are going to decide, okay? They're going to decide. Yeah. And um, it seemed democratic, so people liked it. Abolitionists, however, argue that it still denied African-Americans their right because they couldn't vote on it to be enslaved, right? And yeah. that Midwesterners like popular sovereignty because they believed that mostly northern settlers would move to new territories so that most of those states would basically be free. And that's basically mm-hmm. their plan here. Not that they're hoping, but it's still like thrown back and forth. And it's all going to lead into like the um, the next presidential election, uh, the election of 1848. Yeah. Which has basically has Democratic Lewis cast. We talked about him. He supported mm-hmm. popular sovereignty. The Free Soil candidate, which was basically a lot of these Whigs, known as the Conscience Whigs. They quit the we Whig Party when a, Taylor was should, nominated.
0: Dude, honestly, we should do a, a podcast on like different political parties. Like a lot of people like, Everyone's, wait, Whigs? Bull Moose,
1: Bull Moose, yeah, Whigs. But they basically join up with um, the Democrats because they don't—they don't—they want, want Taylor. They don't want Taylor to be nominated because Taylor was also nominated. And you had Martin Van Buren, which backed the Wilmot bill, right? And he took a very strong anti-slavery um, stance in the territories. And you had the weak candidate, which was Zachary Taylor, who so he just avoided the issue of slavery altogether. He didn't even talk about slavery. Yeah. Which so is you have, why he won. <laughs> which is why he won, right? Cass is saying popular sovereignty. Van Buren is saying get rid of it, right? We're not—we're not, we're not going to allow it at all in these new states. These new territories. And then Taylor's like, eh, I, I, no, I'm not going to talk about slavery. Let's talk about something else. And they're like, you know what? Sounds good to us. Because, again, no one wants to have that tough conversation. They don't want to do what needs to be done then. And this is why it's going to take a war, all right, 14 years later that's going to basically –
2: Design. Finally, me
1: finally this this and we, like we talked about in our previous i guess we're doing this kind of out of order uh one of our previous podcasts when we were talking about um reconstruction which still doesn't get it right you okay. could argue we still don't have it right today i get that but like it's, that's why you have to civil rights movement after reconstruction it's just a constant we instead of fixing it when it can be fixed it's just putting in the back burner putting in the back burner we'll get to that we'll get to that but you have to get to it at some point you can't yep. just keep on putting it off Absolutely. you gotta cash a check you gotta cash the check.
0: And President Polk uh, does step down; he does not run for re-election. War with Mexico ends officially, um, you know, within two-year period. Not really even two years. And definitely one of the most successful presidencies, as far as
1: with his agenda. As I far mean, a lot of. Agenda. He's probably. I don't know. He would go down as one cam- of the most. No, involved. no, but
0: at least campaign promises. I mean, this campaign
1: promises. Right. He can check. He can check off the boxes. at
0: how much land he got for the United States. I mean,
1: it's surreal. Yeah, but. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, they take, well, they take half from Mexico. Mexico, remember, Mexico is still seething over this years later when um, you can go look World into War World War One. One yeah. When I mean, again, they weren't, with the Zimmerman note, they were not probably going to engage at all, but the Germans knew. people. Other countries knew Mexico was still matched. So, yeah, let's ask them, hey, you want to alliance with us, invade the United States, occupy their army, and get back the land you lost in the Mexican-American War. Now, yeah. again, they still were not strong enough to do that in the, in nineteen uh 1917, but yeah, Th- that just for context so purposes
0: that. for those of you that uh, may not know this or remember this. Uh, one of the reasons we went into World War One against Germany and Austria. Yeah, the main reason I would say the main reason. Yeah, that was definitely one of the main reasons um, was a German Telegram uh, note was sent over to Mexico saying that if Mexico this is while the United States is not even in the war yet. That's stating that if Mexico enters and attacks the United States and basically signs a peace treaty or an alliance treaty with Germany then Germany will help Mexico regain the land it lost during a Mexican-American war. And as you said, Tom, this is 20th century, you know, this is world war one and they're still talking about it. I mean, you know, rightfully so, I guess, I mean, we really did steal, I guess, you know, you could use it. I mean,
1: it was a war, but it was like a provoked war. I mean, yeah, this is nothing that, I mean, historians talking about this, but even back in the 18, in 1847, a, um, freshman Illinois Congressman. I was gonna say, you I was might, gonna you to might say, know him, right? You might know yeah. him, right? But the name of Abraham Lincoln, took yeah. to the House floor and he introduced a series of resolutions demanding to know the exact spot. He's like, all right, you're saying that they're you know American in the US was- soil? Yep. So yeah. So he's like so he wanted he wanted to know the exact spot, the soil where that first scrimmage took place to see if it really was American soil or not. And yeah. Polk just kind of goes ah it, Yeah go away. Who are you? We we, we, we got other stuff doing. Who are you who are you go go yeah, Abe well, Lincoln, what do you do? Are. Go
0: chop some wood, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> exactly. So, but, you know, again, it's just a precursor too. You're seeing these names pop up that wind up becoming major names less than 20 years later.
0: Yeah, Abe Lincoln was definitely against this war. Yeah, 100%. And that's when he's not even really that known yet. No. All right. So, I mean, I guess that's our podcast on the Mexican-American War, not to be confused with the Spanish-American War, for they are different
1: wars. Yes, Don't don't confuse
0: them. Do not confuse them. Um, I guess this is one that's usually not known so much. I mean, I feel like it, it's
1: one that, well, again, it's one that's usually taught or usually gone over. I think people usually know we fought a war at Mexico or they believe uh, yeah. at some point. But like, if you ask them literally when or what not actually who, took place, yeah. they are some of the characters involved. They uh, might not know. Um, I know, but it's usually taught, like, again, like we were saying, kind of a precursor to the civil war, kind of the effects and how this. United States, again, gets a huge influx of land is from this war. And it's a war of expansion. It's a war of conquest.
2: 100%. Right or wrong,
1: that's what it is. Yeah.
0: Um, as always, thank you, guys. You know, Thank you for listening. By the way, my book is officially out now. Oh, fancy. Um, it is. Yeah, Denville 13, Murder, Redemption, and Forgiveness in Smalltown, New Jersey. I have an and, autographed copy. You do have an autographed copy. No, I you, might guy, you might know the guy that wrote oh, my God. it. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, if you guys haven't picked that up yet, um, you know it's it's out there barnes and nobles amazon anywhere else that's it i think we you know we have actually something planned next week that is a suggestion that we got from one of our listeners so we're excited about that
1: we always like those
0: we always like those it makes it a little <laughs> easier for us actually it does actually we're like oh we know what we're doing next week that was a good suggestion we so still we still we're, we're chugging along we're chugging along
1: stay safe everybody
0: hope everyone enjoyed our podcast. And if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com.
2: Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events